Hello, Toby Haydock here. It's part two of the Roger Bunce interview because we're getting through the part twos at the moment. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about visual effects. Yes, I liked anything involving visual effects. I, it was sort of half my reason for getting into the BBC in the first place, when I wanted to do visual effects. I just wanted to build volcanoes and dinosaurs and blow things up. And I got into cameras and actually decided I like cameras, and so I stayed with cameras. But um, I was still quite keen to do anything that involved special effects. So um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy I did, for example... Um, Barry Letts directed a, a version of Alice in Wonderland. I remember doing that. That was huge fun. Oh, do you remember Jane, the comic strip? Yes. Uh, Jane and Jane yeah. in the Desert. Glynis yes, Barber. Those, that's it. Glynis Barber, yes. Now, um, that was one of those things that must have been... Because the, 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 the selling point of that was that mm. she was always shot... She was always naked but she was shot very subtly so yes. we didn't see anything but well, I... she was never actually naked she was always she was a falling out of her clothes but not quite was the the theme yeah. yes <laughs> so that sort of Those thing must have to be carefully managed in the studio then uh not too carefully no because she never was naked however you've led me on to another story okay. <laughs> which i was going to work in somehow um <laughs> Yes, 1965, we, we've recently had a reunion for a, a drama series we did. It featured Mary Tam, so there's a Doctor Who connection for you straight away. Excellent. Um, uh, called Girls of Slender Means. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's uh, based on the novel My Mural Spark. Um, and the crew who worked on it, it, it's probably the thing that sticks most in their mind of all the shows they really worked on. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that. One is... It was a wonderful adaptation. Ken Taylor did the adaptation of the book, beautifully written. Um, the director, Maura Armstrong, wonderful director, a superb person to work with. The cast, absolute cast to die for, and the performances were stunning. Um, and one of the other things was that it involved a large number of young actresses taking all their clothes off. I'd hate you to think I was shallow enough that that's the main reason it stuck in my mind. But, but it began with our, our senior cameraman, Dave Mutton, going to the outside rehearsal, which they have in the, before it reaches the studio. And there, apparently, he was approached by one of the actresses, we're not sure who, who said, it's not fair. I've got to take all my clothes off in front of an all-male camera crew, and I haven't even been introduced to them. So Dave did his best to introduce everyone, name them. And we think it was then Mary Tam who said, no, no, I'll never remember all these. Um, couldn't you have a photo taken? A crew photo with all your names on. And then Miriam Margulies, who's noted for being a bit cheeky, who said, yes, but under the circumstances, this crew photo, you should have all your names on and no clothes on. So, well, we're a professional camera crew. It's a joke. Obviously, we're not going to do things like that. And, and anyway, you know, our cameras, you can't get prints off them. They're electronic cameras. You don't have film in them and things. We'd need a darkroom. We'd need a professional photographer. That evening in the canteen, um, we were joined by Don Smith, who's a well-known character around television said he works for Radio Times and he's a professional photographer. So he got talking to my colleague John Henshaw and somewhere between the two of them they convinced themselves well in order to break the ice and one of the things cameramen do is we set the artists at their ease you know we, we help to relax them well anyway we decided we'd do it 
And that evening, after the rest of the cast and everyone had gone home, the crew assembled in the area where most of the nudity was taking place. And Don Smith provided caption cards and a marker pen so we could write our names. And we took our clothes off and posed. We held our name captions up in front of us to cover our um, embarrassment. Um, Don came and took his photo. There was one member of the crew chickened out. I remember that because deep down I wanted to chicken out, but I wasn't actually brave enough. Um, and then Don worked through the night to develop the photos and produce a batch of glossy 10x8s. And the following morning, they were distributed to the cast in envelopes. And at this point, the suspense cut in because we suddenly thought this could all go very badly wrong. The response could be, get those dirty old men off our series and get us a proper crew. You know, we're classically trained actresses. This is art we're doing here, and all this lot are thinking about is the nudity. What we hoped was, even if they were a bit offended, they'd get the joke as intended and they'd laugh politely. You know. And the good news was they laughed, and the even better news was there was nothing remotely polite about it. They were howling with laughter, really falling over giggling. I mean, ordinarily, you take your clothes off in front of a young lady and she bursts out laughing. That's not a good sign, but... <laughs> In this occasion, it was a very good sign, and they, little discussion groups, they were passing the photos around, and a couple of actresses wanted to know why some of us had hairy chests and some of us had smooth chests, and I, never having studied naked cameramen before, I didn't really know have an answer. And my colleague John Henshaw was a particular query because he was standing with his arms folded, and his name caption seemed to be supporting itself, and there was much, <laughs> there was much speculation of what he'd used to hold it up. <laughs> anyway, that all went down very well and we got on very well with each other after that and that evening the cast grabbed Don Smith, the photographer and said, can you do one for us now to give to the crew and they hauled him back to the dressing room at this point I give away secrets um, the crew had actually kept their pants on and the reason John was able to support his name caption was he did sticky tape on his pants um, but when Don Smith went back to the dressing room with the cast, they just took all their clothes off and asked him how they'd like him to pose, how, how he'd like them to pose. Um, I, I suspect it took him a while to reply when he got his chin off the floor. And he later said it was the most embarrassing moment of his life. But he manfully did his duty and <laughs> took several poses, I think. And the best one was had Miriam Margulies in the front and all the others lined up, all half-masking each other behind her and a caption card in front of Miriam. Um, we had a day off after that and then we were back doing an arts programme and we were sitting around in the gallery of Studio 4 and a uniform commissionaire comes in, pink cat, all very formal with a stack of envelopes that he hands out to us Mutton, Fox, Bunce, Henshaw, Hunter um, and we thought, what's this? They've decided sack us after all, it hasn't gone down so well we opened them up and we'd forgotten. It was February the 14th, Valentine's Day, and inside was the photo of the cast. And Don had written, Crew 14, physique so fine, will you be our Valentine? <laughs> <laughs> cast and crew got on so well on that series, probably as a result of that, but all perfectly polite and respectable and no hanky-panky. Well, if it was, they didn't invite me. But what I really want to know is the calendar girls, right? They got a film made about them. They did a tour of America, all the rest of it. Well, we did it first. Camera crew 14. Why haven't they made a film about us? <laughs>
Well, watch this space. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and we've, we've, we've touched upon um, Television mm. Centre. So tell me about why uh, it's not just nostalgia that makes us want to keep Television Centre going. There are a huge list of points, but I mean... The architecture, I think, is wonderful. Television Centre should not be demolished on architectural grounds alone. The, the main thing, though, is Television Centre just works. Everything there works. You've got everything to hand. Um, when it was designed, the senior management of the BBC included senior producers, they had chief engineers. Esther Anson's dad was one of the chief engineers when it was designed. Consequently, the whole thing was planned out so that you could make programmes as efficiently as possible. Television Centre, everything is in the right place, it arrives in the right place at the right time, ready to go. The the ring road layout, the cameraman will tell you it's the floors. The floors at Television Centre are the best floors of any studios in the world. You can move a camera from A to B no problem, it will be perfectly smooth and it's electrostatically treated because these days you get an electrostatic jolt on a camera it switches it off and then it has to go through a menu before it comes on again um, so, so everything there the lighting men will tell you it's all about the lighting grids, they have full facility lighting grids, electronic hoists they don't have to rely on monopoles or people dropping ropes which takes far longer um, but, but what it really is, it's the galleries, it's the layout of the galleries, it's the, the sight lines that the director has, the studio floor, it's, it, and the ring roads, and I mentioned before, for bringing scenery, technical equipment, the way the scene docks are laid out, the scene dock doors, everything just works, and the substitutes don't. And the substitutes, of course, are only taking on a small minority of the work that's done at the television centre. Everything else is having to be fitted in by... To private studios or to or to the studios at Elstree. Just just looking at you talking about it, you're obviously very passionate about the place. Oh yes, yes. I mean, it, it, it's not just the programmes that are done there. It it's how it works. Yes. Well, it was lovely as you you go through um, on Wikipedia. You know, they they always list the production credits and all those early Doctor Who's executive producer none. Yeah. Because you work with a much smaller production team in those days. And I don't really understand why so many programmes have so many production credits now. No. It's, you know, it's expanded not quite as much as BBC management has expanded. But <laughs> No, I, I have a general theory that there are two groups of people. There are people who do things and there are people who go to meetings. <laughs> and, and, and consider that to be work. Well, I don't consider going to meetings to be work, you know. <laughs> And for some reason, the people who go to meetings get paid more than the people who do things, and I've never understood why that is. You know, I've in, in my career, I, I, I set up MVQs or helped set up MVQs for cameramen and things like that. And so you do the odd little peripheral job that involves you going to meetings, and they were always a rescuer compared with actually doing camera work, which was hard work and, and mentally taxing and. You know, the, the level of nervous energy and tension that you develop when working on a live show on a camera, not even a live show, you know, any show on a camera was, was incredibly stressful. But you go to some meeting with management, it's, oh, this is nice and relaxing. Isn't it? Oh, they've they provided coffee and buns, how nice, you know. It's <laughs> 
Well, look, oh. I've, 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 I must wind up because I've used up so much of your time and you've been very generous no, with it. I'm, I'm free uh, all day because my missus has her friends around to lunch. So. Well, we'll, 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 have some, we'll have some lunch as well then, but we'll, um, I'll, I'll wind up the recording element of it. Yeah. We quickly, you mentioned you quickly, you've done all, you've done all the doctors, haven't you? Because you, did, uh, re- you, you didn't, couldn't remember the title, but uh, the Alexi Sale one is Revelation of the Dark. Yes, yes, I did that one. That was Graham Harper directs that. Who yep. Unusually, was a director who directed from the floor a lot. Whereas a lot would be in the gallery. A lot. Um, it's interesting. Multi-camera drama. Dra- generally, the directors liked to be able to go to the gallery or the floor. Um, it's very handy to be able to pop from the gallery to the floor. Light entertainment. They hate directing from the floor. We, we didn't really discover this until they re- redesigned Studio Six. Six. They obviously consulted a lot of drama directors who said they like easy access to the floor. Um, the person who suffers then is the vision mixer by and large who is like what's he saying what's, he, what's going on because um, she doesn't hear what's going on until he gets back or she gets back um, but they redesigned TC6 and put the, the gallery at ground floor level so that the director could pop in and out very easily the only studios we had that could, you could do that were Pres A and B before which were up on the fourth floor the small studios and it was about that time that drama went out and filmed so all the drama directors who wanted this easy access from the ground floor left, leaving us with a, the studio with a ground floor gallery, and all the light entertainment directors then moved into that studio who hated it because they want to be as distant as possible from their stars because otherwise the star comes barging into the gallery saying, oh, I want more shots of me, and generally telling them how to do the directing, and they don't like that at all. <laughs> light entertainment, in my experience, there are a lot more egos the directors, the producers, and the, the cast all had huge egos. Drama, people are desperately trying to make the programme as good as possible, and their own egos don't come into it at all. If the tea lady comes in and says, wouldn't it be better if you did a shot like this, and it is a good idea, they'll take that idea, no problem. You know, It doesn't matter who suggests it. If it works, if it makes the programme look better, we'll go for it. And, and no one really has this big ego that says, no, I'm the director, I make all the decisions. You know, it's very much, yes, he's the director, he does make the decisions, but if, if you come up with a good idea and he likes it, he'll be very grateful. But Ellie, Ellie yes. not quite the same. Ellie isn't the same at all, no. <laughs> Is it right that they it's, had a, a... It's a generalisation, obviously, there are individuals in both categories. Is it right that they had different bars, though? Was there an, the, the Ellie bar and the everybody else bar? The BBC Club is a wonderful place, it tells said. It's another reason. It's another bit they really shouldn't close. Um, yes, um, generally true. What, what happened was that people from different crafts assembled in different areas. And light entertainment, there was a sidebar as you walk in. It was off to the left. There was a little sidebar, and light entertainment usually gathered there, whereas drama would tend to be in the main bar, yes. The... The, the L.E. bar was dominated by Dennis May Wilson in his day, who was a wonderful character, always in the bar. His office was directly opposite the bar. He said he chose it, said it was the nearest one possible to the bar. He lived at Blackheath, so he gave me lift home occasionally. And that was could be scary. <laughs> I think they eventually banned him from driving. <laughs> um, because the amount of alcohol he could get down and still direct a programme very, very, very competently and very, very well. And of course he's, he's famed as the discoverer of 
various big names, you know, working with Hancock and the Goons and all those people way back. It's not just the BBC, so I, I interviewed, for one of these, I interviewed a chap who'd worked at Ealing, so we met at the pub yes. outside Ealing Studios, mm. and the landlord was going, back in the day, you know, this place oh, yeah. was full, and people would come in at lunchtime, then go and operate heavy machinery <laughs> yes. or whatever. And it is a different time, isn't it? The idea that yes. if you turned up at the BBC mm. to work, yes. having been drinking, you yes. would be dismissed. Yes. <laughs> and yet... You were all producing very good stuff. Yes. Oh, crews by and large never got drunk. Well, not till afterwards. You go to the bar afterwards. That was always the... Th- they, they brought in some mad rules and regulations at one point of disciplinary code for anyone who's drunk, and it said that anyone found drunk will be put in a taxi and sent straight home. We thought, fantastic. We get drunk after the show, they'll send us home in a taxi. We don't... <laughs> <laughs> don't have to pay to get Yes, home. yes. <laughs> Um, oh, and a story in which, if people were drunk, it might not have been a surprise, was Paradise Towers, uh, which was Richard Breyer's Oh, right, yes. Hitler. Again, yeah, my only... It's one of those I did, and I have this mental image of Richard Breyer's there, but remember absolutely, sadly, nothing about it. So I have an anecdote from that. Other than thinking it was rubbish. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it was towards I mean, the those, end of Doctor Who's time. Those more recent ones, I did them but remember very little about them other than the design of the new Daleks in Revelation of the Daleks and really, well Doctor Who had gone off the boil at that point, or was it just me? I, I think it had gone downhill a bit, and I think there's a danger of it happening now as well I, I don't know how you feel Some the, the most recent series again it's this, this thing there's too many backstories coming into it, and, and I don't like them, I like the flexible, I like each story to be as standalone as possible well, actually, even in the old days, there was too much to me of, of the, we're in an impossible situation. Oh, what's this switch? You know, oh, we'll, we'll reverse the, the, matri- the jargon matrix, you know. <laughs> oh, suddenly it's all better again. And, yes, there should have been. And cliffhanger endings that meant nothing. I think it was, was it the invasion of time. As, suddenly they're just all riding around the on the floor saying oh we're being drawn into a dark star and then you come back next episode and it's, it's, it's literally oh, what's, oh I'll throw the switch oh, we're alright then yes. <laughs> did you work on Invasion of Time or is this no just it's just, just one I remember as being singularly bad or thinking it was singularly bad <laughs> well that was directed by Gerald Blake who somebody who was famously at the bar I believe a fantastic again another mate of John Linton my old camera supervisor from years and years ago I did Yes, I must have done some Doctor Who's with him, but I also d- did some, um, you know, adventure serials that we did in those days. One was Leonard Rossiter's first big TV role, I think. Oh, really? Um, yes, on the, on the basis of that, I remember we were wandering around London and seeing a play up, and Arturo Ui, never heard of it, Bert oh, Albrecht, but oh, yeah. starring Leonard Rossiter. And I, I, having just done a serial with him, oh, I have to go and see that. And he, apparently it is still regarded as the definitive performance of that play you know Leonard Roster was the best yeah. best performance in that and, and he was a fantastic actor as well as well as, as a comedian because I mean this was a straight straight thriller you know, we did with him but I think it was called Death is a Good Living which is not a wonderful title but <laughs> <laughs> well look we'll, we'll go and grab something but I, the, yeah. the, the, obviously the last two questions are number one is the uh, would you like to nominate a charity for the listeners 
Right. Any, any charity connected with diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis, because these are two diseases that have affected members of my family. And uh, Doctor is 50 this year. It started the day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. It did. Uh, so what's your message to the Doctor Who fans who are still hanging in there and watching? Hang in there and hope for some good ones, I think. really is. <laughs> <laughs> There are lots of bad ones, but I look back... Of the recent series, there have been some classics, I think. Um, there was the Britannia Hospital one, which I thought was absolutely knockout. Um, it was scary, and the plot made sense. I do object to the ones where the plots don't make sense, but within its own t internal logic, the plot of that worked perfectly. And I love that. I love Blink. Blink is just one of the best ever. I mean, I don't think you can ever surpass that. No. Certainly one of the scariest, but, but also some nice time travel logic, which again did make sense when you thought about it. Um, and Dinosaurs on a Spaceship loved it. Loved all the characters in that. I thought the dialogue absolutely sparkled and the, the sheer cheek of calling it Dinosaurs on a Spaceship you yes. know, that was underlined just before the credits. Yes. We'll repeat the title in case no one gets the reference to Snakes on a Plane, you know. So. Well, good. Well, we'll go from Dinosaurs on a Spaceship to, uh, to Two Men in a Pub. So before that, it just remains for me to say, Roger Bunce, thank you very much. <laughs> and thank you. Thank you very much. That was great. That was great. My thanks to Roger, his charities. Well, he's given you a choice. Rheumatoid Arthritis. You can have the Rheumatoid Arthritis Society, the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society, which is www.nras.org.uk. www.nras.org.uk. Or Diabetes, which is www.diabetes.org.uk or you may have your own favourite charity uh, for those particular conditions. I'll leave it up to you. It wasn't uh, overly specific. More part twos to come, so listen out for those. Uh, but until then, uh, keep enjoying the new year. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Romance of Crime. Hmm. <laughs> Carbonaceous asteroid, I'd say. Traces of refractories, accelerated decay of aluminium 26, etc. We're on the fringe of a simulated gravity field. I'd say they're using remote gravitic excitation. Thank you. Wilkin, I've found Carl. Carl? It's not pretty. He's been flattened. Duodlinium. So possibly an Earth colony? On an asteroid? Well, we won't know unless we get inside. No! Follow me. Do not attempt to communicate. Any attempt to escape will result in immediate execution. Yes, it usually does. All right. The controls aren't responding! The engines must have been interfered with shall impact the planet's surface at terminal velocity. You must save us, Doctor! What do you think I'm trying to do? Hold it! No! Stay back! No! Sorry. More stairs, K-9? Don't worry. I can carry you. Really? Wouldn't it be better to carry K-9? I think you might struggle with me.
Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, the English way of death. Just the hero fussing, I expect. I'll turn it off. What the place is... Is that that closed chair? Sir, the, the noise hurts. Stay down, man. What was that? Nothing important. According to these readings, that's a transmission on a spatio-temporal frequency. Oh, interesting. Nobody in this time period can have receivers operating on extratemporaneous wavelengths. What? What's happening? I'm terribly sorry, young lady. I very nearly ran into you. <laughs> I fell into the road. I blame the local seismic activity. Mr. Stackhouse, construction of the first project proceeds satisfactorily. And the second? Work on the cerebral links continue. More nourishment is needed. Miss Alostro? Yeah. Take a look through this on the picture page. There must be no errors. He appears rather distinctive, especially if he wears that hat. There you are, Percy, you naughty boy. No, this is against the rules, Harriet. I'll have to destroy it. One fiddling flying boxing. June 1930, southern England. Minor tremor noted at 1747 hours today. It must have been caused by somebody or something alien to this time continuum. What the hell? You... You're coming with me. Keep back. I don't want to have to kill you. Well, then, don't. You have completed your examination. But you can't be serious. You can't want it to actually destroy the world. Big Finish. We love stories. <laughs>